As you're turning in your Bibles to Jude, the book of Jude, I want to say thank you to Matt and Holly for sharing with us what a, what a great testimony of what God is doing in their lives and um, how he's using them in unique ways. I'm a little jealous of Holly for getting to, to, to learn from uh, Wayne Grudem because he's phenomenal, um, but I call him No Way Wayne. But I, I, do love, I do love his systematic theology, and so a little jealous of that as well. So we've been in the book of Jude for a little bit, but before we jump in, I want you to notice something that those students were saying. There was a lot of confusion, right? There was a lot of confusion as to what was truth. Who is God? What is God's purpose for my life, etc.? And this week, I got to spend in California working with veterans. The elders gave me permission to serve with this program called Mighty Oaks Warriors Program. And as I was serving, they, uh, they emphasized how, just, how much despair they have, how much confusion they have. In fact, most of the men that came to that program, they're alcoholics, they, uh, they were sexually abused as children, they were suffering from various traumas, um, uh, and uh, suicidal, depressed, etc., and all of them almost, to a T, said, well, I don't know how I got here. My wife signed me up. And many of them said they were believers. Some says, my wife's a believer, and I just come to church when I have to. Um, and there was just such a heavy load of passivity. And these men, I mean, literally, they would walk through the doors like this. Just the cares of this world. In fact, and part of it's because the world says they are victims, the world says you have this psychological labor, label, therefore you are a victim. And they've been told a, a, a sold a bill of goods. There's been a lot of false teaching that they've experienced. And so as I was able to work with them, we were, we were able to present to them the hope of Christ. We were able to present to them that Jesus restores the soul. That they don't need to live based on a psychological label, but they can... They can have hope in the Lord. And man, it was just amazing to see the transformation. We had several that gave their life to Christ for the first time, and several more that recommitted and wanted to be better husbands, better fathers, uh, better, better men in their communities. And it was just a, it, it was like they, a, a switch was flipped on Thursday when many of them made their commitment. And there was laughter. There was joy. They were joking with one another. They were telling war stories that were not as gruesome as they used to be when they were sharing earlier. And it was just a fun time. And as they were leaving, they're getting on the airplane, and they're like, how do I share this with my wife? How do I share this with my daughter? How do I share this? You know, I ruined my family. How do I share the gospel? And I said, well, first you need to know the gospel. And so you got a, you got a snapshot. It was transformative. And I said, okay, we've got to get you in a church. And that's what we've been working on over the last few days is getting them in a, in a local church, getting some biblical counseling, um, but really counteracting the false teaching that they've experienced in their life. And that's what Jude has been doing, right? He's been warning us about these false teachers. He's been giving us the character of the false teachers. And we spent a lot of time just breaking down what is a false teacher, what are they teaching, and why. But then as he concludes, which is what we're about to enter into, Jude encourages the people, and he gives them a certain way to live. So, let's look at the first part of Jude's conclusion here in verse 20. He says, 
But you, dear friends or beloved, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, this this passage is so powerful. Father, I, I have just meditated on this passage all week. And I'm just so encouraged about what Jude is teaching me through your word, through what you have inspired him to say. God, as we consider worship, Lord, I pray that the, the churches in Sierra Vista would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I want to lift up Christ Community Church as they are preaching the gospel of Jesus. I believe they're going through the book of John right now. I pray that lives would be transformed under that ministry of the word and that there would be renewed hope. Lord, I pray for all these men that left the program, all 21 of them, and as they went home to their various families and their churches, Lord, life would punch them right in the stomach again, and that they would turn to you instead of back to their old habits, back to the drugs and back to the alcohol. I'd rather that they turn to you and, and praise your name. And all these things we ask in the beautiful name of Christ. Amen. So Jude is, is calling attention here in verse 20 to the position that the believers have. He says, dear friends, but... I really like how the Greek says, dear beloved, dear beloved. Why would you think Jude would use the term love again? Well, he's using the term love because he's contrasting with those of the false teachers. But in fact, Jude 3, or excuse me, Jude 2, well, let's go back to 1. <laughs> 1b, to those who are the called loved by God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So like a good preacher, he is reviewing his prior material in this passage. And so he says, dear beloved, and then he gives them a command. Now, it's kind of hard to see this in the English, but I just I think it's really important that we break it down. But the whole command is to keep yourselves in the love of God in verse 21. And all these are sub-clauses. Everything else that he says are a sub-clause of how to keep yourself in the love of God. Now, you may say, okay, pastor, but last week or a couple weeks ago, you said that it's the Lord who keeps us in the love of God. So why is Jude now changing? Is it Which one is it? What if I said it was both? Now, the problem is in, in, our, in our language, we are really good with the positives, right? I got to keep myself in the love of God. God needs to keep me in the love. But if you use the negative, sometimes it helps. So think about it this way. If God is not keeping you in his love, can you stay in his love? Good job, Edward. Proud of you. If you are not keeping yourself in his love, can you stay in his love? If you go home and sit on the couch and eat potato chips and basically waste your life doing nothing, can you keep yourself in the love of God? So it's almost like there's a synergism here. I know that's a fancy word, right? There's a, a, a working together. But I think it's, it's more than that, that God loves us and therefore we're able, we're enabled to love. So what Jude is saying here is not so much that you have to work to be in God's love, but in order to abide, you must remain on the vine. You must remain close. So it's not an earning of his love, but a maintaining of his love and and there's some more we can get into but we just don't have the time so 
we say that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then Jude doesn't leave us wondering, how do I keep myself in the love of God? He begins to explain. And he gives us three ways that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And, and I really like how Colossians 1.29 says this. It says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So, all right, so we work out what God has worked in us. And so the way that we keep in the love of God is first, to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must build our faith. Or we need to be building our faith, which is the second part of verse 20. As you build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So why is Jude bringing up the faith? What is he talking about? Well, we just talked about that, I don't know how many weeks ago, six weeks ago, five weeks ago, when we first started Jude, right? He said, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I really emphasize, this is the gospel. You need to build yourselves up in the gospel. And not only individually, but corporately, right? Because Jude is writing to the church, the church abroad. He's not writing just to you and just to me. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, how are we building ourselves up in the most holy faith? How are we growing in our faith? Another title for this message could be how to thrive during an apostasy, right? Living and thriving. The men that I saw this week, they were not thriving. They were barely surviving. And it was because they weren't striving to build up their faith. That all rhymed. That was really cool, right? But they were, they were not building up their faith. They were not trusting in the gospel. They were trusting in the things that these false teachers were offering, which is exactly what Jude is dealing with. So what are you trusting in that is counter to the gospel? Are you finding hope and happiness in things other than Jesus Christ and him crucified? I think we can all say we struggle there. So the Christian walk is to grow in your faith. And that doesn't look like vast experience of mountaintops, but it's a continual moving. Someone had described it like this. It says, they said that our growth as Christians is like a man walking upstairs with a yo-yo, right? So if the man is walking up the stairs with a yo-yo, you still have ups and downs. You still have times of, of uh, neglect. But ultimately, you are continually moving forward. So as you are slowly removing the things in your life that are hindering you as you run the race, you are growing in your faith and you are seeing Christ more clearly. And our growth in the faith comes through the mind, through the affections, through the will, right? As, as Holly mentioned, the heart. Right? When, when the Bible speaks of the heart, there's really three things that either interchangeably or all three are used together that it uses. It's the cognitive, the effective, and the volitional. Right, The thinking, the feeling, and the doing. Or the, uh, the thinking, the emotions, and the choosing or desiring. And so when we have the heart, we have to go through Scripture to understand. And so... Why do we gather here in this church? So let's go back to cognitive or to a collective as a group. Why do we gather here as a church? What's the purpose of our worship? Yes, it's to worship the one true God, absolutely. But is it not to build each other up in the faith? Why did God give gifts to the body of Christ for the edification of the believers? And so how are you using your gift in order to build up this congregation? and the body of Christ as a whole. Man, I love Matt's 
story about being a web designer and doing videos because that's not something that you think about when you think about gifts for the church. So you can use what your skills are for the good of, of Christ, for the, for the good of the mission, as we would say. And so if you're sitting back and say, well, I don't have a lot of ability. Man, there was a guy at Mighty Oaks, a, a team leader, who does jujitsu, and he teaches jujitsu, and he incorporates the gospel in his jujitsu. I don't understand how that works. Like, submit. I get. I don't know. I don't know what he's. I don't know what his. I don't know what he's doing. But like every move, he tries to explain the gospel. If you have your mind on something else, and he tried to explain it to me, I don't do jujitsu, so don't try to fight me because I will lose. But, but that's what he did, and he do, and he taught jujitsu at church. They opened up a time for him to teach jujitsu at church. And he says he has 20 guys that he goes in there and he shares the gospel with them while using jujitsu. So don't think that your skill is, is unuseful. Your ability is worthless. And so as we, we, we begin to know more about the Lord, as we begin to experience God, as uh, Blackaby liked to, to talk about, we begin to keep or we begin to appreciate the love of God more. The more that we grow in our faith, the more love we have. There's a, you know, I've said this quite a few times, but our, our conformity to Jesus Christ is based on our, um, excuse me, our, our capacity to enjoy Jesus Christ is based on our conformity to him. The more you're like Christ, the more you enjoy Christ. And that's what we do as we grow and build ourselves up in the faith. So if you want to keep yourself in the love of God, if you want to, to feel the love of God, if you want to see the love of God, you start by building yourself in the faith on the gospel on one foundation, not on false hopes or these false teachings. The second thing is you got to keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Spirit. This is what verse 20 says, or the second part of verse 20. Excuse me, the third part of verse 20. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Now, some people take this to mean that he's talking about speaking in tongues. That's not true. It's just not why would he tell the whole church to be speaking in tongues, right? It's a gift for some, apparently, according to Corinthians. So if you believe that it's these ecstatic language, then it's not what is in mind here. I personally have a different view, but we'll talk about that when we have more time. So what is it? He is saying that this is counter to the false teachers. Remember Spirit? Just a few verses before. That's what he's saying. He's saying that believers are to pray in the Spirit. It means, just like Ephesians 6, 18 says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So Ephesians is not talking about tongues, but it's talking about requests to further God's will and resist the devil. Or Romans 8, right? Our groanings are translated by the Holy Spirit to the Lord. We cannot keep ourselves in the love of God if we are self-dependent, right? What I tell these guys at Mighty Oaks is that prayer is wartime communication, right? We need God in everything. And so that's where we get to this point is, are you setting aside time to pray? Praying for the will of God, not your own selfish desires necessarily, but for the will of God. Man, what would it be like in your house if you never talked to your spouse? Or you just said hi in the morning and then walked out the door, didn't check on her during the day, came home, watched your favorite show, and went to bed, and not even saying a word to your spouse? Man, that'd be pretty lame, right? You'd feel pretty distant. 
what uh, Jude is getting at is that the love of God cannot be sustained without a relationship with Him. If you're not maintaining your relationship with the Lord, why would you expect to be kept in the love of God? So how do we do that? Let's, let's talk about implementation just really, really quick. Set aside time to pray. 20 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the morning, an hour. Maybe right before bed, spend 20, 30 minutes praying. Have a list. Have people that you want to pray for. There's tons of resources out there. I gave you guys a pamphlet by J.C. Ryle about how to, how to pray, right? And how, how do we put that into action? Finally, after building yourself, building on the faith, or building your faith on the right foundation and praying in the Spirit, he gives us the third key for keeping ourselves in the love of God. Verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, which is really the key verse or the key clause. And in the subclause, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. You keep yourself in the love of God by expectantly waiting. This is the third means that God uses to keep us in the love of God. Now, waiting is sort of a loaded term in the Bible, right? It carries with it eschatological endings, which just means in times, thoughts, right? Are we waiting for the return of our Lord? Now, if you think about this waiting, how many of you think of like a waiting room at a hospital where you have to like catch up on your TikToks and your angry birds, right? And you have to wait, right, before you see the doctor. That's not what this kind of waiting is. This is the kind of waiting where you're planting a field and you're waiting for rain to produce the growth. This is the kind of waiting that you are doing work as you wait for the harvest. This is active waiting, being useful in the work of the Lord. So when you see, when you see this word waiting to keep yourself in the love of God, you're not thinking about, I'm going to sit back and just wait for the Lord's return as the world falls apart around me. This is an expectation. And why are we waiting? Why are the audience of Jude waiting for the return of the Lord? It's for judgment. Judgment on these false teachers. It's tearing families apart. It's, it's causing folks to think that they are victims and eventually committing suicide as they go deeper and deeper and deeper into their holes of depression because there's no hope. That's what these false teachers are offering. They're offering life without Christ. Remember, we've talked a lot about that. And so... That's why they're longing for the return of Christ to get rid of these false teachings. How much longer? How much longer do we have to wait? So we remain in God's love by looking forward to Christ's return. So what does this look like practically for you? You know, those that take their eyes off of this future hope, this expected mercy will set their eyes on something else. If you take your eyes off of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and His return and the mercy that He's going to grant to us and the judgment and, and correcting of all the wrongs, if you take your eyes off of that, the things of this world become very, very big. Right? They become overwhelming. When your wife goes to the hospital, when your husband is snarky with you, when your children are messing up in school. 
that becomes so overwhelming. In fact, it seems like the biggest thing in your life. But if you say, you know, this world is temporary. Eternity is before me. So the beauty of the, of the Mighty Oaks program is that it's out on these ranches. And it's on these ranches that are in this beautiful area where you get to look out and see the valleys and the mountains and the hills. And I would sit out there some of those, those really early mornings because I worked like all day long with these guys. I'm sitting out there by myself with the Word, and I'm like, I'm enjoying eternal life right now. I'm enjoying eternal life right now. This is the joy in the Lord that I have today. Yes, the world is broken. Yes, I'm putting bands today. Set our, we set our eyes on the things that we love, don't we? And the more you love something, the more you look at that thing, and the more detail comes out, doesn't it? Why do you think art galleries... So I've been to a bunch of art galleries. I am so such a, uh, a crude when it comes to art. I'll walk through. Hmm, that's nice. That's cool. That's weird. Okay, cool. And I walk out the door. I'm done, right? But there's people that have like chairs, they bring their lawn chair and they sit back and they look at this picture. I like walk up next to them like, hey, what you looking at? You see something in there that I don't see? And they're like, yeah, did you notice this brush stroke here? Did you notice this little bit of color here? Did you see this flash here? And you know, did you see the talent that he did? And I'm like, huh, sure enough. But that's what we do when we come to church, right? We open up the word of God. And many of you have reading plans and you just zoom on through, right? Man, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I'm stuck. I have to go back to, the, to Matthew and Mark because I'm so confused as to all these regulations. But what if someone opened up Leviticus and said, you know, this is pointing to Christ. This Old Testament law about holiness is about Jesus Christ. That everything that touches the altar is made clean. Everything that touched Jesus Christ was healed. Do you see that? Do you see the brushstrokes of God in the Word? Right, so we have this building up, we have this praying in the Spirit, and we have this anticipation, this waiting. I want to make one final conclusion or one final observation in this little passage. Did you notice Jude's favorite thing, which is to use threes? Did you know, notice the most important trinity in this passage? Let's go ahead and look at it again. But you, beloved, or dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in who? Holy Spirit. We got one, trin one member of the Trinity there. Number, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, God the Father, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Trinity. Just two verses. Why is that important? The way we keep ourselves in the love of God is based on the Trinity, on the means of the Trinity, where God the Father sends the Son. God the Son purchases redemption for His people. God the Holy Spirit applies that redemption to us. So how do you keep yourselves in the love of God? By building yourself up in the faith, by praying in the Spirit, and by waiting expectantly for his return. Man, isn't that hopeful? Isn't that encouraging? So we have a job. We have stuff we have to do. How are you doing it? Do a survey of your life. Are you casting off the hindrances? Are you trusting 
in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith? Have you put your whole hope in him for salvation alone? Are you resting in his completed work that he did for you? Or are you so busy when you sin, letting it overwhelm you? Are you looking at your sin more than you are looking at Christ? I like this saying, I don't, and I don't remember who said it, but they said, there is more grace in the blood of Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. You cannot out the grace of God. Isn't that encouraging? When you feel hopeless, you're, you're caught up in an addiction or you're caught up in, in some kind of lust or some kind of desire and you're just overwhelmed by this fact and the world says, well, just take these pills or you're always going to be an addict, right? And they said, there is no hope for you. And you say, no, there is hope in Christ Jesus. Is it a struggle? Yes, it's a struggle. It's what I like to call the struggle bus, right? It's hard, and we're on the struggle bus. It's hard to get off that bus. And we are continually renewing our minds through the power of the Word by the Holy Spirit as we pray, trusting in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can we do that this week? What is one way that you can do that this week? Maybe you can share this message with someone that you interact with. I'm not saying share the sermon, the message. Make this your own. Do not let your competency outrun your character. Do not be so wise in the scripture that you don't live it. Can you put that into action this week? Think of ways that you can do that. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for this opportunity to worship the living God. Father, we are thank you for the Holy Spirit, which praise for us when we stumble and grumble and we mess up our words and we're moaning with words because this world is painful it hurts and we see the wickedness of this world and we see the ugly things that mankind can do to one another father yet we have you our hope our expectation as we look to the return of christ to set things right once and for all father we i pray that we can be a people that contends for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And the way that we contend is through living a life kept in the love of God. That we have character that matches what we say. Character that matches our confession. God, I, I just love your word. I'm so overwhelmed by the beauty of this passage. Father, I pray that we would all drink from this living water and that it would carry us through to next week and the week after. That our prayer lives would flourish. And we would pray in the love of God that we have received so beautifully. Lord, we know one thing, that it is in Christ alone that we place our hope. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.